So that was Mrs. Lundegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? For a little bit of money. There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? And here you are. And it's a beautiful day. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 118, Fargo. That's right. We're back. A nice wintry mix movie. Yeah, we're back after quite a long break for us. We're really rusty. I can already tell. Certainly. Yeah. I <laughs> it's going to take a while to get it back. I had some discussion about the podcast, actually, with some, some listeners at the uh thanksgiving party yesterday some things revealed i guess on the last episode regarding moving out of the studio space some people were starting to put some things together about me moving in with Lindsay, and it's not really common knowledge for everyone at the family party <laughs> <laughs> there may be concern of people finding out about living in sin <laughs> well you know i, I get just, it I, i'm just happy people are listening to the show <laughs> Yeah, that's actually the most surprising part. It's like, wait, because I, I didn't get the vibe that anyone even listens anymore. Oh, right, I, I was know, like, does yeah. anyone care that we're taking a break? <laughs> like, no one seemed to notice. Well, you know, it's the holiday season. I feel like, you know, it's harder to keep track of the years as they go by, but I do feel like we watched our last Coen Brothers movie for the pod around the same time period. Two years ago, maybe, for um, No Country for okay. Old Men. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely was in the heart of winter. I remember being, like, super sick for it. Yeah. I do. I think that was, like, a November, December situation. But it's been too long, really, since we've gone back and revisited a Coen oh, Brothers yeah. movie. Well, they have a lot of classics. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit off mic about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, their new 
Netflix original. That's kind of just like a boo fest from me. <laughs> yeah, definitely one of their least successful films as far as being good. <laughs> <laughs> There's some interesting things there, and I think with all Coen Brothers things, you tend to need to like There's put some distance and then come back. More than originally meets the eye. Yeah, I will I, say even like in Inside Lewin Davis, which I, I love, like the the first time you know when you're first getting into it, you're like, what is, what is this, other than just like depressing? Yeah, but at least with that, at the very least, it's like, well, there's a, like a beginning, middle, and end to this. Well, that's true. Right? <laughs> I, I know what the character, who the characters are. I feel like there's at least somewhat of a story. Plus, if like it's depressing on first watch, I find that much more relatable than like weird and I guess seemingly maybe funny at times i mean they with ballad of buster scruggs they start you right off with like a dude who's just like singing and killing people yeah in like a cartoony way yeah and i mean the whole of the career of of the two coen brothers is an insane feat really i mean their batting average over 30 years is off the charts right and even some of their lesser films are still better than the vast majority of garbage that's out there. Well, they do like uh, just really good, either quirky or like suspenseful. Like they can do both really well. But I felt like this anthology movie or whatever, it seemed to lack. It didn't really have either of those. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say that by the end of it, I kind of was like, what was the point of this? But who knows? I mean, sometimes I think <laughs> future ep of this show will be like talking about how great it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I think you watch one of their films and you're kind of just like, okay. And then you come back to it later and it blows your mind a little bit. And then sometimes you're right off the bat. It's pretty great. But I mean, I don't know. I've never really, I guess to be fair, I mean, I never have really gone back to, to revisit like hail Caesar, which I didn't really think was that great. But yeah, I didn't see but that. But then again, but... like Burn After Reading, I didn't really like the first time I saw it. But then revisiting it later, I kind of appreciated it a lot oh, more. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of humor in that one. So it kind of just depends. I don't know. Yeah. So we've done No Country for Old Men, and now we're doing Fargo. Fargo, to me, is probably the quintessential Coen Brothers movie. I don't know, box office-wise, if it's their most successful or not. It didn't win Best Picture, although it was nominated, and No Country for Old Men did. But I don't know. It's the movie I most associate with them, even though there's a bigger cult following for Big Lebowski. And like I said, No Country for Old Men won Best Picture. When I think of like their defining moment, it's Fargo. Yeah, it kind of has like all their elements. It's also a weird movie for me because my parents like this movie. Which normally, you know, their tastes are questionable at best. <laughs> I, I kind of think that they only like it well, or like the thing that they get most enjoyment out of is just like the Midwestern accents. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think they think that's funny and that's like enough, you know? Yeah, I definitely think the accents in the film are a big part of it. It's a big part of the sensation that went on when the film came out in 96. And it, it kind of was one of those movies that flew under the radar until it was released because, I mean, the vast majority of America did not care about Raising Arizona, even though that was, like, a pretty popular oh, yeah. fun movie. But, like, people weren't like, oh, you know, the guys that did Miller's Crossing are doing this new movie that uh, right. takes place in Minnesota and North Dakota. It's like nobody cared, I and mean, then it comes out and it blows everyone away. Yeah, the f there is just something so fun about, like, that 
dichotomy of like the nice kind of simple midwestern people with like the crime underbelly yeah the name of the documentary feature on the blu-ray is like minnesota nice or whatever and oh, okay they definitely do talk about you know the coen brothers don't always give away a lot of their thought process but they you know they definitely talk about the idea of these people that are so repressed and they're kind of pushing the, these feelings down and then it kind of bubbles up into these insane violent ways and oh right all that kind of stuff and not too dissimilar to stuff that we've talked about with david lynch you know with like twin peaks or blue velvet or something like that but more in a modern setting i guess uh, yeah and because lynch like is very like 50s aesthetic even you know even though it doesn't take place in the 50s but like fargo is very like everyday people in modern times but the secrets that they're kind of dealing with yeah and has definitely like a satirical vibe like it's it's poking fun at it a little bit we sat right here in this room and went over this and over this. Yeah, but that true coat. I sat right here and said I didn't want any true coat. Yeah, but I'm saying that true coat, you don't get it. You get oxidation problems. It'll cost you a heck of a lot more than $500. You're sitting there. You're, you're talking in circles. You're talking like we didn't go over this already. Yeah, but this true coat. We had a deal here for 19.5. You sat there and darned if you didn't tell me you'd get me this car, these options, without the ceiling for 19.5. All right. I'm not saying I didn't. You called me 20 minutes ago and said you had it ready to make delivery. It says, come on down and get it. And, 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 and here you are, and you're wasting my time and my wife's time and... And I'm paying 19.5 for this vehicle here. All right. I'll talk to my boss. See, they install that true code at the factory. There's nothing we can do. But I'll, I'll talk to my boss. These guys here, these guys. It's always the same. It's always more. You going to the Gophers on Sunday? Oh, you betcha. You wouldn't have an extra ticket. You kidding? Well, he never done this before. But seeing as it's special circumstances and all, he says I can knock $100 off that true coat. 100. You lied to me, Mr. Lundgaard. You're a bald-faced liar. Fucking please. Um, Fucking liar. Please. Where's my goddamn checkbook? Let's get this over with. Okay, so the film opens with uh, some words on the screen. Yeah, it is a true story, right? That it says. <laughs> it says it is. Yeah, right. Uh, the Coen brothers have changed their story, or, you know, they've changed their tune a lot on whether or not it's true. They've, okay, yeah. Depends on what interview they're giving. Right, I, I've always thought that, yeah, that that's just complete bullshit, that yeah, I think it is, but there's been various attempts to try to connect it to different stories that have happened. I think what happened is they made that up to include with it, but they did take things that they had heard about from different stories and kind of okay, put them sure. all together. The one that jumps out that people always connected to is like people that were like put into a wood chipper. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like that has but, happened. But basically it's like <laughs> you could put that into any movie then. It's like pulling from real life stories. I'm sure like every single movie yeah. is like based on a true story then. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is based off of any specific true story. 
But it says, this is a true story, the events depicted in this film took place in Minnesota in 1987. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect for the dead. That's not true. The rest has been told exactly as it occurred. Yeah, and I mean... (laughs) I mean, that's really specific. That's not just, like, based on a true story. Their take on that, I think, was, well, the whole thing is made up. Why can't this part be made up? I get it. Yeah, (laughs) right. This was, like, mid-90s. That's kind of, like, right in the heart of, like, reality stuff that... What are we, a couple years before Blair Witch Project? (laughs) I mean... Yeah. Just like this whole ploy of like acting like things are real when it's not. Right. The film itself takes place in a miserable, brutal world of just nothing but white. I know. You're just like, oh, my God. I just <laughs> I got to move south. It's insane that our ancestors lived through yeah, that stuff. Yeah, came to and, like, countries survived. and just were like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> when there was a lot less people in this country, right. you know, hundreds of years ago, they're like, "Yeah, we'll stay here instead of going where it's warm." I don't know. I guess we should talk about Roger Deakins, who's a cinematographer, kind of one of the best of the modern era. Finally, won an Oscar for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He does a lot of the Coen Brothers films, and he did this one. The cinematography of this movie is insane. It elevates it in a way that. I don't know. There's tons of good movies that if you take one or two elements away, you know, you're left with not much. And I think the look of this movie and the way it's shot kind of elevates it. And along with like the the really solid acting, but like, it, it uh, could have turned into a very silly movie. It fits like the setting and the vibe perfectly. Yeah, I mean, the most iconic shot I think is that one of the parking lot from above. Okay, yeah. And the car just with the little tree islands and right. And uh, well, William I, H Macy like walking to the car. Yeah, and yeah. It, it just with the the score too. It has a way of like making all of these like locations seem like kind of intense, like the giant Paul Bunyan statue. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, Jerry Lundegaard. You're Jerry Lundegaard. Yeah. Shep Proudfoot said. Shep said you'd be here at seven thirty. What gives, man? Shep said eight thirty. We've been sitting here an hour. He's peed three times already. Oh, I'm sure sorry. Shep told me 8.30. It was a mix-up, I guess. You got the car? Yeah, you bet. It's out in the lot there. Brand new Burnt Umber Sierra. Yeah, okay. Well, sit down then. I'm Carl Showalter. This is my associate, Gare Grimsrud. Yeah, how you doing? So, we all set on this thing then? Sure, Jerry. We're all set. Why wouldn't we be? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you are. Shep vouched for you and all. I got every confidence here in you fellas. I guess that's it, then. Here are the keys. No, that's not it, Jerry. Huh? The new vehicle plus $40,000. Yeah, but the deal was the car first, then the 40000 Like as if it was the ransom. I thought Shep told you. Shep didn't tell us much, Jerry. Well, okay, it's... Except that you were going to be here at 7.30. Yeah, well, that was a mix-up, then. Yeah, you already said that. Yeah, but it, it's not a whole pay-in-advance deal. See... I give you a brand new vehicle in advance, and then... I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and debate. I will say this, though. What Shep told us didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, no. It's real sound. It's all worked out. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. You... My point is, you pay the ransom, what, 80,000 bucks? I mean, you give us half the ransom, 40,000. You keep half. 
It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. See, it's not me paying the ransom. The thing is, my wife, she's wealthy. Her dad, he's real well off. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble. What kind of trouble are you in, Jerry? Well, that's, that's, I'm not gonna get into, into, see, I just need the money. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Or your fucking wife, you know. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Well, it's all part of this. They don't know I need it, see? Okay, so there's that. And even if they did, I wouldn't get it. So there's that on top then. See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Yeah, personal matters that needn't, uh... Okay, Jerry. You're tasking us to perform this mission, but you won't, uh... You won't... Oh, fuck it. Let's take a look at that Sierra. So we start in Fargo, North Dakota, at a place called the King of Clubs. Pretty cool yeah, place. I would say so. <laughs> it's not there anymore. This was a recommended place by Shep Proudfoot to go meet some thugs or whatever. Yeah, the thing that is funny about this is, and I mean, for people who are familiar with the movie, I mean, everyone, I guess, kind of gets this right off the bat, but it's just funny to me every time watching it how ridiculous everybody is and how inept everyone is from the very beginning oh right like at no point is anybody seem like they're gonna be able to do this, this plan off yeah i know <laughs> no, it's like everyone is a total idiot I, well it's just like you come into it and and there is definitely like a lot that's left to mystery as far as like what exactly built up to this like you don't ever really find out what william h macy what he owes money for right no not really Unless he's just trying to get the money back because he took that loan out on the cars. It could be just that, but it seems but like... But why he took the loan out on the cars, right. you're not sure They bring of. it into it like he's already in some sort of trouble, but you never actually see any of that side of things. Yeah, I mean, I assume that the money is going to pay back the money he took out on a fake loan on these fake non-existent cars, but well, you like, don't know why he did that. Right, and it's like, this ransom to me seems shockingly low. Well, that's but yeah, but it's not that low, right? He's just telling them. That's yeah, yeah, the other yeah. thing. It's like, why would they think that that's enough to do it? I, I don't no, know. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of hard to untangle exactly the ins and outs of what is driving the characters but, to do these things, or like what relationship he had with this Shep character, who's just like a mechanic that works in the shop at the dealership. That he feels comfortable enough <laughs> to approach this guy and ask him, like, "Hey, do you know anyone that would kidnap my wife and split the ransom money with me?" Well, that's something I've always... That's like a bold thing to just approach someone about. Yeah, that's something I've always thought about when it comes to like movies and books and stuff like that. There's always this conceit in them where uh, someone just knows someone who right. will do something. And He's you're just like, character. if I needed people. to do this, whatever the thing is, whether it's like get a new, like a fake ID or someone who knows how to like get out of town quickly if shit goes down or, or whatever, these underworld fringe type people that exist in these books there's always this conceit that like someone just knows them and is very that's never like what the book is about like how to find that person that's always just right. like that person's just a given yeah and you're like well i would never even know where to find someone it's like why would adnan just approach jay about this <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's the criminal element of woodlawn i should cut that out <laughs> it's a mustacheless william h macy which is kind of jarring that is yeah, a weird look for him. Playing a guy named Jerry Lundegaard, who seems like 
your typical salt of the earth midwestern guy. Yeah, really great name, I think, for the character. That's the thing, like everybody's just endlessly cheery and seems good natured, but there's this dark shit underneath. Oh, yeah. Where, and then, like, the low lows that people say, are willing uh, to go to. This character is just, like, it's so sad, <laughs> the way everything goes for him. But, I mean, this is... I mean, I guess... I don't think it's sad for him. I think it's sad for his wife. <laughs> well, I know, but I, I'm just talking about, like, sad, pathetic, I mean. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all these deals that he's trying to put together, and he's just always, like, bumbling and fucking him up. No one respects him. I mean, William H. Macy just does an unbelievable job. As this character, I feel like, you know, I mean, you kind of forget because it almost feels like he's playing himself a little bit. Yeah. Him always like walking back his little plans and everything is like, no, no, now that's not going to work. It's very, (laughs) I just love the way he acts throughout this movie. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that he's representing kind of the normal suburban frustration that a lot of people probably deal with in their lives, uh, especially men who, for whatever reason, whether it's their own fault or just bad luck, they kind of find themselves in positions feeling impotent. You know, he's kind of, in a weird way, cuckolded by his father-in-law in life. Oh, yeah. You get the sense that he's never really had much, because I think his father-in-law owns the dealership that he's the manager of. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like he's he's kind of a loser. There's that whole part where he's talking about, like, you know, setting this deal up, and it's like, oh, so I can take care of my wife <laughs> and son, a.k.a., you know, your daughter and grandson. And he's like, they never have to worry. Yeah, Gene about and anything. Scotty never have to right. worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just like such a just brutal beatdown. He's at the King of Clubs. He has a meeting with Carl Showalter and Gayer Grimsman. Or, I can't even read my own writing. Grimsid. Who, whatever. Doesn't matter. Would you even Gayer. know that's his name from the movie? They do say Gare a few times, okay. but it, Carl is Steve Buscemi and Gare is Peter Stormare. These two are quite the pair. Right. How they came together, really? Yeah, I don't know. Because yeah. they don't really seem they to like each other right. very much. So the plan is to kidnap Jerry's wife and then split the ransom money between Jerry and these two guys, which would come from Jerry's father-in-law, the money. The amount that Jerry is telling them is 80000 so they'd get 40000 each. And then Carl and Gare would also get a car from the car dealership where he works. I would be like, if I was the criminal here, I'd be like, I, I don't really see how that helps me. That just seems like a traceable thing. <laughs> the car? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And plus the car is shitty anyway. Right. But it's kind of, this meeting is kind of a comedy of errors right off the bat because there's mix-ups on the time that they were supposed to meet. And clearly Carl and Gare don't even really understand the plan because they're like, (laughs) well, if you're paying this ransom money, aren't you just giving us 40,000? Like, what do you mean? They're not getting that the money's not even coming from Jerry. Jerry needs this money. We don't really know why. We've already kind of talked about that. I think it's because of this insane thing that he did, which was take out a loan on cars that don't exist, which I I don't really want to like get, go down that whole road, but it's like a, Something to do with, like, uh, GMAC or whatever yeah, they call see, it. I, I guess I always thought that all of that was part of some, like, debt that he was trying to pay off. Yeah, but the ori- we don't know where the original yeah, debt came right. from. So, back in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Jerry's house, uh, we meet his wife, Jean, son, Scotty. Jean, his- kind of a typical Midwestern <laughs> look or something, right? <laughs> yeah, she's very... The thing that's kind of subtly heartbreaking is that she 
does seem like an idiot, like most of the characters in the movie. Very but, sweet. Yeah, she seems very supportive of Jerry and never seems to give him a hard time about anything. You kind of just wonder why Jerry would be like why the way he, he is. to do this, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she obviously is just an innocent victim in all of Jerry's like dumb bullshit. Well, Jerry wants to be, and it, you know, as time goes on, you, you realize that he, d- he wants to be a big time player. With, uh, in something right yeah <laughs> you know he's he's not very well respected by the uh father-in-law and, and what's his kind of right hand man's name oh um stan grossman oh yeah yeah you asked stan grossman he'd agree with me on this one <laughs> that whole thing with the him saying oh, that right. is like a whole that's funny but yeah. we'll get to that i recognize the son scotty from a couple of films from the national lampoon library dorm days dorm days two and oh. What wow. should have been called Dorm Days 3, but turned into Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a good triple feature for the listeners. Yeah. I think Dorm Days 2 was like Semester at Sea. Previously, like, <laughs> oddly you, you enough, know, uh, constantly available in the Walmart $5 bin. <laughs> yeah. Once Jerry gets home and, and the father in law, Wade, is there for at the house for supper, we learn a lot about the relationship the dynamic dynamics. Here? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Fargo is a short film. I mean, it's only like an hour and a half, and yet you feel like you understand everything pretty quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the relationship here is not very subtle as to like who calls the shots when he's around, even in Jerry's house, and it's kind of it does a depressing you, window into this world. I know. It does kind of make you think back uh, when Jerry would have been first doing some courting here of Gene, and it's just like you, you would have thought he would have early on gotten an indication and just be like you know what i don't know if i want to like get myself tied into this yeah well other but, than it's but just people like, do though well that's people true. do get Plus themselves like, into things like well this is a meal ticket here she's got the rich dad maybe he'll croak yeah what follows from there is some glimpses into the lives of the primary characters leading up to the actual kidnapping we have carl and gare stopping to get some prostitutes in brainerd <laughs> where's pancake's house what? We stop at Pancake's house. What are you, nuts? We have pancakes for breakfast. Gotta go to a place where I can get a shot and a beer and steak, maybe. Not more fucking pancakes. Come on. Oh, come on, man. Okay, here's an idea. We can stop outside of Brainerd. I know a place there we can get laid. What do you think? I'm fucking hungry now, you know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. I'm saying we can stop, get pancakes, and then we'll get laid, all right? Are these girls definitely prostitutes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Marge refers to okay. them as such later. All right, yeah, because I mean, he's just like, yeah, come on, I know a place, we'll get laid, which I'm just like, oh, either they're prostitutes or you just know. <laughs> no, they're two? prostitutes. Okay. And There's not really a lot to say about it other than like the stuff that Gare says is always funny. Where he like is saying that they have to find Pancake's house instead of Pancake House. Right. Like I don't know. I think like Stormare was talking on one of the bonus features about him not. He wasn't like understanding. He thought that was like a typo, and he kept saying Pancake House. And they're like, no, no, no. What is, it says Pancakes, and he's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and they're like, no, no. But that's how you would say it, though. You're supposed to say Pancakes House. Yeah, I mean, Pierre Stormare is definitely like scary looking. Yeah, I would say. He also played Slippery Pete in Seinfeld they, whenever they moved okay. the Frogger machine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good reference. They did pick two just 
strange looking dudes to play the <laughs> yeah i love here. how like every person that encounters buscemi in this movie is like funny he's funny looking, looking. <laughs> yeah which it, it kind of makes you think about yourself and like if you know police were investigating someone <laughs> we're recording this like shortly after thanksgiving and so you know the family's in town everyone over at my parents house oh, right. for the dinner and whatnot and we were like looking at some pictures oh no <laughs> There's a picture of me with my two sisters, probably from like the summer of 2007. And then there was a picture of me almost a decade later <laughs> at like a wedding. Okay. And I put them t- the two pictures next to each other. And I mean, it is like shocking how horrifying it is. <laughs> I mean, it is like, holy fuck, what the fuck happened? Oh, no. I look like I'm so much skinnier. I'm like tan. In the later picture. No. <laughs> Oh my no! no. And I, it's just like holy fuck. It's yeah. like talk about letting yourself go. Listen, people get older. I mean, it's hard, you know. <laughs> this is like verbatim dialogue from that episode of It's Always Sunny when Mac is the first one where he's oh, yeah, fat. Right. And this is exactly what they're saying. He's like, it's we get older. You can't look like you're twenty forever. Yeah, come on. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. I mean, I would be horrified to hear people describe me, especially oh, people yeah. that don't really even know me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that you do you feel like the word creep may be thrown around. <laughs> Fat loser creep. <laughs> and then while they're with the prostitutes and brain are just like killing time. I do think I would, I did want to mention like so you see that brief thing of them fucking in the same room, which yes. is hilarious that to me. That is yeah, that that's a wild move. But then They're afterwards, spring for the prostitutes, but not their own rooms. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, we got forty thousand dollars coming. <laughs> yeah, and the, those you can tell, like the walls and like the beds in that place, you can just tell how shitty it is. Oh, it's yeah. like real Paper dirt cheap. Thin. I like when they cut back to them though, and they're in that blue light of the television, two in each bed, like watching like the Tonight Show. <laughs> it's just like how fucking grim is that? Well, yeah. <laughs> but while that's happening. We see Jerry interacting with a um, a customer at the dealership, and he's just like this worm of a salesman, and just really. Well, aren't they all though? I yeah, mean, but I it's a glimpse into that, that scene is like real rough. I definitely have felt like that guy who's yelling at him, but I've also felt like him in my life, like <laughs> on both ends of that. <laughs> so yeah, basically, this is where we first understand the kind of trouble that Jerry's in. He took out like a $320,000 GMAC loan, which he collateralized with non-existent dealership vehicles. And he's unable to pay back the loan basically. So I think that is where, why he's doing the kidnapping thing, but we don't know why he took out a $320,000 loan in the first place in a criminal way. We don't really understand where that was go towards this like property. But where did the money go then? That's true. If you can't pay it back. Yeah. (laughs) Although, you know, sometimes money just disappears. He's not the best criminal. I mean, (laughs) as we see many times over. Yeah, I like was looking into like what a GMAC loan is. It's like a whole thing. Okay. They actually go by like Ally Financial now. A-L-L-Y. Yeah. It's something that started with General Motors for financing cars, but it's kind of turned into this whole thing. I'm really just not big on the whole car world in general, whether it's uh, purchasing cars or getting cars fixed. (laughs) You know, I'm just not into it. Yeah. Well, who is? It's never good. The actual kidnapping itself is borderline comedic because I guess because you know that the stakes are not that high because you understand what's happening. And I guess it's like... 
does he not know when this is coming? That's kind of unclear. Like, they set this plan up, but it's like he's not aware that it's happening now, right? I mean, he gets there, and it's it's or he's it's like he's forgotten about it. Kind of. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell if he's just, like, putting himself into the right mindset to not act suspicious, like, to say the right things. Or He doesn't seem that calculated, that premeditated. <laughs> well, there is that brief moment where... He's doing, like, the... His father-in-law is saying that he might do this deal and that it looks pretty good right so then he's like isn't he like trying to he's trying to call off the yeah so he thinks that maybe he's not going to need to do this because he'll get this money in a different way but i mean it turns out that all that wade and stan grossman want to do is give him a finder's fee because they're not a bank or whatever right yeah they're, <laughs> they're not like we're just gonna we're not just gonna give you seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to do this how you doing wade good to see you again jerry these numbers are right. This looks pretty sweet. Oh, those numbers are right, all right. Believe me. This is doable. Congratulations, dear. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Well, it's a pretty... What uh... kind of finder's fee are you looking for? Huh? The financials are pretty thorough, so... The only thing we don't know is your fee. My fee? Wade, what the heck are you talking about? Stan and I are okay. Yeah? We're good to load in. Yeah? But we never talked about your fee for bringing it to us. No, but Wade, see, I was bringing you this deal for you to loan me the money to put in. It's my deal here, see? Jerry, we thought you were bringing us an investment. Yeah, right. You're saying... What are you saying? You're saying we put in all the money and you collect when it pays off. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'd I'd pay you back the principal and interest. Heck, I'd... I'd go one over prime. We're not a bank, Jerry. If I wanted bank interest on $750,000, i would go to Midwest Federal, talk to old Bill Deal. He's at North Star. He's at... No, no. See, I... <laughs> I don't need a, a finder's fee. I need... Finder's fee's, what, 10%? Heck, that's not going to do it for me. I need the principal. Well, Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. What the heck were you thinking? If I'm only getting bank interest, I want complete security. Heck, FDIC. I don't see nothing like that here. Yeah, but I... I... Okay, I... I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Jeez, what the heck are you... We're not a bank, Jerry. Well, look. I don't want to cut you out of the loop, but this here's a good deal. I assume if you're not interested, you won't mind if we move on it independently and that's when we get that parking lot shot when he's like leaving talking to wade and stan about trying to get the money for this real estate deal he wants to do and he's (laughs) that like hilarious rage of him trying to scrape the snow off of his car and just like (laughs) slamming it me every day of winter (laughs) yeah that is like pretty relatable so yeah i mean while he's finding out that he's not going to get this money and he wasn't able to call off the kidnapping anyway because he couldn't get a hold of them. It all happens. Everything kind of goes to hell pretty quickly because Carl and Gare are transporting Gene to their remote cabin on Moose Lake when they're pulled over by a state trooper outside of Brainerd for driving without temporary tags because they're driving like a dealership car. Yep. And... They're trying to play it cool, but they have a kidnapped woman in the back seat who's and making noises. Yeah, yeah. They tell her to shut up, and then he, like, she makes tape a noise. Her mouth or anything? I don't know. I mean, it does kind of sound like she's gagged. I mean, she's not saying like That's words. True, yeah. I don't know. 
But I mean, the bottom line is but we Carl know. But Carl's just like, wait, that's uh, Steve Buscemi's character. Yeah. Name, right? So Carl's just like, yeah, let me handle this. I got it. But it's just like, dude, this chick is shrieking in the back seat. <laughs> Well, I think they do tell her, like, shut up or we'll kill you or whatever. I, I don't know. Because she's quiet at first and then she makes a noise. Yeah. So Gare kills the trooper. <laughs> right. Well, first, Carl's trying to bribe him, right? Is that what he's <laughs> Yeah, he hands him the wallet with, like, a $50 bill sticking <laughs> They're on this deserted, frozen road, but then out of nowhere, these eyewitnesses come by. <laughs> And, and they're just like frozen in their movements when yeah. the car goes by, <laughs> just like dragging a dead cop. <laughs> yeah, so the body's out on the street. Carl's trying to drag it out of the road. That's when the eyewitnesses pass, and they're just like, they're like slowly <laughs> passing. You just see them both staring over, like horrified. Like mouths wide open. They flee, and then they Gare ch- chases them. They end up crashing. Gare shoots them both dead off on the side of the road so now they've got three corpses just out in the middle of nowhere which obviously is going to draw a lot more attention because the original idea here is that jerry's never going to involve the police that he's going to claim to be negotiating with the kidnappers while talking to wade and trying to get this money oh yeah and the police are never going to have to be involved and everything's going to be kind of done on the hush hush but now they have a triple homicide out of nowhere what were they going to do with the cop before these other people pulled just pull him off the road i I guess guess. yeah i mean no matter what so even without the other two right yeah Yeah. but it turns into like a whole big thing (laughs) just a wild crime scene it's kind of crazy too because this movie as i mentioned is pretty short and we're already like a third of the way through and now we're just meeting brainerd police chief marge gunderson played by francis mcdormand who would go on to win best actress for this real peach in this movie too i would say (laughs) i don't know i mean it's like you don't think of Frances McDormand as like a classic beauty by any means, but I find her <laughs> insanely attractive in this movie, especially as a pregnant woman. Oh, God. Um, you kind of know what I mean, though? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely some times. Yeah, she's very pregnant, and she's basically like a super cop who's able to reconstruct well, exactly what happened in the scene. She knows immediately does it what... In such a nonchalant way, though. Yeah, and she knows immediately like what the DLR plates mean. You're not blown away by her fellow police no she right but she does it in a way where she never really embarrasses them for yeah. being so much dumber than her yeah. <laughs> but you also get the impression that they're kind of used to it they're used to her being oh yeah super smart so what's the deal now gary says triple homicide yeah it looks pretty bad two of them are over here where is everybody well it's cold margie watch your step margie Oh, jeez. So. Oh, jeez. Here's the second one. It's in the head and the hand there. I guess that's a defensive wound. Oh, yeah. Where's the state trooper? Back there, a good piece in the ditch next to his prowler. Okay. So we got a trooper pull someone over. We got a shooting. These folks drive by, there's a high-speed pursuit, ends here, and then this execution-type deal. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if our suspect was from Brainerd. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, from his footprint, he looks like a big fella. 
see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm gonna barf. Jeez. You okay, Margie? Yeah, I'm fine. It's just morning sickness. Well, that passed. Yeah? Yeah, now I'm hungry again. You have breakfast yet, Margie? Oh, yeah. More made some eggs. Yeah? Well, what now do you think? Let's go take a look at that trooper. And it's kind of in a weird way, like this very striking feminist statement in the middle of this movie, which you're definitely not expecting because she's the primary hero, but she's so far and above like her in a, fellow cops. And like her husband is kind of like a stay-at-home husband a who dud. paints. Yeah, in a world, a, a world of characters that are just kind of like dumb or like single-focused males. You know, here we have this like sharp female police officer who's tracking down seemingly psychopath, at least one of them, murderer. And well, to be fair, though, pregnant. the other women in the movie are all idiots. Well, that's true. Jean and then the, the prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Of which there are three. And then when we get to the second time that Carl gets a prostitute, that's hel- <laughs> that woman's face when they're in that restaurant where there's like jose feliciano was playing or whatever right, that right. whole scene where they're at dinner and the faces she's making oh, during yeah. that conversation are the funniest things and that's so relatable to times that i've been out just frowns such <laughs> <laughs> so as the most defined frown i think i've ever seen yeah, had some dates that kind of <laughs> went that way well when it's jose feliciano you got no complaints uh, no kidding yeah <laughs> so are you from around here? Just in town on business. Just in and out. <laughs> Just a little of the old in and out. What do you do? Uh, I... Um, have you been to the celebrity room before? With other, uh, clients? I don't think so. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, well, depends on the artist. You know, Jose Feliciano, you got no complaints. Waiter. Death? So, uh, how long you work for the escort service? I don't know, a few months. Find that work interesting, do you? What are you talking about? Jerry tells Gene's father, Wade, the ransom is one million. So this is the first time we're hearing now that the actual <laughs> ransom is not $80,000. Yeah, that's quite a discrepancy. The fun thing about movies like this is that they never feel the need to have to tell you what to think or how to think. They just kind of present things and then yeah. you can kind of reach your own conclusions. And one of the conclusions you can reach right here is when you find this out is like, dude, this is way too complex for someone like you. I what know. are you thinking? Like, well, you, There's too like, many moving pieces. There's so many things going on. I even think about like how tricky it would seemingly be to compile a million dollars cash. Yeah. Like, let's just say you have it. But I mean, trying to even like put that together. Yeah. How well, many banks do you have to go to? Well, that's the thing. We don't really know what exactly the circumstances are with Wade. We just understand that he's like super rich. And by rich. the way, to have like a million dollars that you I mean yeah that's he's super rich. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he owns the car dealership. He was going to buy this real estate thing and I mean you know money yeah. was like 
free flowing. It seemed like so. Maybe he is the type that would have a million readily available. That's right. I don't yeah. know I how or this, why, but yeah, suitcase full of cash, ready for a ransom at any time. <laughs> I do like whenever they're first going through this, and and he's running it down for him. Wade wants to offer five hundred k. So you, well, maybe I, we can talk him down here. That's the thing. It's like obviously Jerry is a villain. The shit that he does to his wife is off the charts horrible he's not a good person at all despite maybe being a little sympathetic for just kind of being this sad loser but wade, wade is like a jerk too i mean he's, he's a terrible man first you know? yeah and it doesn't seem like he's ever made well, anybody's get, life easier i want to get gene back here but i mean let's see if we can talk him down a little bit i mean really what kind of leverage do they have here but yeah this is the moment where wade's right hand man sam grossman kind of Agrees, with, agrees Jerry. with Jerry, and Jerry latches onto that in just such right. a hilarious <laughs> way. Because even later, when he's explaining this to his son Scotty, <laughs> he's like, Stan he's like, you Grossman. can ask Stan Gross, like, like what? <laughs> like, why would this thirteen-year-old kid care what some guy? It's a like, business what? affiliate of your grandfather's thinks. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the the type of things that people do when they have like such a flimsy grasp on reality yeah like they're so desperately clinging to anything and it's (laughs) it's just really funny so marge traces carl and gare's tracks back to the blue ox motel which is the place where they had the two prostitutes she finds out about the two girls she interviews them that's pretty funny and (laughs) yeah that's a a lot of the oh real funny looking yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and Which, then I love these two prostitutes though, just like so ready to like bury these guys. They're clients, basically. Well, that's I think that's the thing with Marge is like she has like a disarming. Yeah, I think people just like her, so right. they're they're just talking to her. Because yeah, typically in things like this, you, the people that work outside the law, like whether they're prostitutes or drug dealers, even whenever criminals are being pursued for more serious offenses like murder they don't want to like cooperate with police they don't trust them or whatever they're afraid they're gonna get in trouble but no not these girls oh no (laughs) they don't care (laughs) yeah we both did she went to college too i went to normandale for about a year and a half yeah that's where we met but i dropped out though yeah she dropped yeah so where are you girls from chaska lesseur but i went to high school in white bear lake go bears Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas looked like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. This is also, I think, in addition to the the two women she finds out about some calls made from the blue ox to minneapolis and this is how she's gonna oh, yeah end that's up. what sends her there so meanwhile though the walls are closing in on jerry 
He's got Carl calling and demanding all 80,000 because of the three murders in Brainerd. Oh, yeah. The situation has gotten a little bit. Yeah, I love how, like, we fucked something up, so you now have to give us all the money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess you do have all the leverage because he actually has his wife. And then GMAC is giving Jerry 24 hours to prove the existence of the vehicles or face legal consequences. Cause he's like trying to pull that move where he's like faxing over stuff that's like illegible oh, and all right. that yeah, shit, yeah. <laughs> which is, like, I mean, you're living on borrowed time. Yeah. At I mean, that it's point. so pathetic. I mean, yeah, a lot of this stuff, the nitty gritty of these details, I mean, they don't necessarily translate to today. Cause I mean, you wouldn't be sending over okay. like smudge I'll, faxes. I, wish I do love that. Yeah. He's like, I'll fax it over. And he's like, no, no, you can't fax it. That's what went wrong before. He's like, okay, I'll have my girl send it over. That's what he keeps saying. I'll, I'll have my girl send it over, which I'm like, well, what is that? <laughs> I don't I know. I mean, it's not like he says email or anything, you know? Well, I think, yeah, he, yeah, you're right. But I think I do think later he met, he says, like, oh, they're in the mail or something. Okay, right. When, like the last the time physical he talks mail. About. Okay. So because of one of these calls from the Blue Ox in Minneapolis, Marge is able to trace the killers to Shep Proudfoot. Marge goes to Minneapolis. She interviews Shep. He acts like he doesn't know, but we Keeps find out. Cool. Yeah, we find out that he has a criminal background. and He's like on parole or yeah. something, right? She kind of puts the squeeze on him a little bit, and then she briefly speaks to Jerry, who is really just crumbling now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not keep. Yeah, the way that Shep acts and the way that Jerry acts, two different animals. Yeah, I think like... I don't know. It, 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 on the one hand, you're like, well, why doesn't she realize that he's like hiding something? And it's like, well, maybe she does. But at this point in the narrative, she she just doesn't assume that this guy who's like a manager of a car dealership actually physically killed these people. So <laughs> I just think about myself and like any not a situation like this, obviously, but like any situation, like if a cop was asking me about anything, I think I'd just be like stumbling all over my words, like walking back things that I said. <laughs> I'm just like such a head case. And I just have so much anxiety that I can't like. <laughs> deal with authority yeah, you're figures. like uh, adam scott and parks and rec right you're just like what you guys do i mean oh no 9 11 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that old thing <laughs> so out of the blue marge gets a call from an old classmate na- named mike yanagita this is just it's just a wild what feels like a departure from the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah although i could probably spend the most time talking about what happens with all of this <laughs> it's so painful so relatable <laughs> so <laughs> i remember listening to the audio commentary on the donnie darko blu-ray with kevin smith and what's the guy's name who richard did, kelly yeah richard kelly the two of them together and they talk a yeah. lot about this part in fargo for some reason <laughs> And how defining moment. Well, I think their point was like how in terms of the narrative, it's unnecessary, but it it's what makes the movie like so great is having something like this in right. it. And I, on the one hand, I do agree with that. And I do think their whole point was that a lot of times a studio was going to step in and want something like this cut out of the movie. But if they did cut this part out, the movie would not even be an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't really have to like save time on this one. I think that this scene sets up something that follows it, but the scene itself is just completely insane. Like he calls her out of the blue saying he sees her on TV because of the murders. They end up getting together. I think they're in Minneapolis, right? Yeah. That's where she's At like a, it, is it a hotel restaurant? Like, the yeah, well, restaurant I, th- I do think that it is the Radisson, but yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I right. don't know. 
So they go to this restaurant. He tries to like sit next to her in the booth oh, at one point. That is just so disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Why she is kind of up for this, I, I never really... They're meeting in general? Yeah. I mean, they show her like fixing her hair. Is she just like a little bit flattered by this or something? No, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's anything like... I think she just thinks it's a friend from the past. Like, I don't right. think she's expecting anything that happens even remotely. Yeah. I don't think she's, like, going there to do anything shady, but it just seems like... I, I still don't even get really why. Well, yeah, it is it is unclear what their... Connection is. Yeah, like, what their history together was. So, I mean, who knows? Yeah. But, nevertheless... Now he seems fucking crazy. The way he talks, <laughs> even, though. Like, before she even gets there, like, him on the phone seems like he's way too energetic. Mike? Mart? Oh, jeez. Oh, you look great. Yeah, so do you. Oh, easy there, easy there. Easy there, easy there. You do too. I'm expecting Oh, you. I see that. that. That's great. Oh, what can I get you? Oh, just a Diet Coke, please. Great. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is a nice place. Yeah, you know it's a Radisson, so it's pretty good. Yeah. So, you're living in a diner then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years now. Uh, it's actually Eden Prairie, that, that school district. So, Chief Gunderson then. Oh, so, you went and married an armed son of a Gunderson. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Great, great. So, uh, what brings you down? Uh, are you down here on that homicide if you're uh, allowed to, you know, to discuss that? Oh, yeah, yeah, but there's not a heck of a lot to discuss. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you married? You got kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I was married. Uh, I was married to... You mind if I sit over here? Uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. No, why don't you sit over there? I prefer that. Huh? Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, uh, no, just so I can see. I don't have to turn my neck. Oh, sure, sure. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to. No, uh... no. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, so, uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. You, you remember Linda. She was a year behind us. Yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. yeah. She Oh yeah. yeah. So, it didn't work out. Huh? Oh, and then I and then I've been working for Honeywell for a few years now. Oh, well, they're a good outfit. Yeah, if you're an engineer, yeah, you could do a lot worse. Uh, but it's uh, not uh, it's nothing like your your achievement. Oh, well, it sounds like you're doing really super. It's not that uh it's not that things didn't work out. It's uh, uh Linda uh, had leukemia, you know. Uh, she was, uh, she, she passed away. No. Uh, it was tough. Uh, there you go. It was long. Uh, she fought real hard, Marge. You know, uh, that's, what, what can you say? Oh, better times, huh? Better times. Oh, and then I saw you on the TV, and uh, I remembered, you know, I always liked you. Well, I always liked you. I always liked you so much. 
So, Mike, uh, should we get together another time, you think? No, I... I... I'm sorry. It's, uh, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't. I, I thought we'd have a really terrific time. It's okay, Mike. You were such a super lady. And then, <laughs> I've been so lonely. I don't know, like, what he's expecting her to want to do. Like, I guess he's just... Well, and he, he's not pulling any punches here. He goes right for it. <laughs> really? I just, like, sit next to her. Do you mind <laughs> if I sit next to you in this booth? Yeah, well, I mean, eventually we kind of get more of the story because Marge, like, I guess calls somebody that they went to high school with and she finds out the truth, but he... He kind of like launches into this whole thing about being so lonely because he he was married to this woman who died of leukemia and I mean it's so awkward and you're just like what the fuck is going on and I don't know I mean I guess it, it's kind of equivalent in a weird way to like whenever you get these like creeps over like messaging on a website yeah, or whatever and they're like, like oh my friend stole my phone or right. whatever it was like clearly it you know they oh, went for yeah. they went for it and it didn't work well, and they pay, they try to back out of it. So he goes launches into this whole thing, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, did he come pre prepared with that, well, or is that is, just because he's fucking crazy? Well, there's or? a couple of points with with all this and where it's headed with him, but it did have me thinking like this was like the old version of catfishing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously in this universe now with Facebook. Yeah, I mean, you're never getting away with this, but the fact that like the scams oh, that yeah. a dude used to be able to pull. You know? Oh yeah. So she leaves there. I guess you know she. I guess she buys the story, but she's kind of just like. How do you feel? Between, like, how did this scene resolve between these two characters? <laughs> you know. I mean, I guess eventually she's just like, I have to leave or whatever. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's. Oof. Okay, That's like yeah, why but... you see something like this, and then you understand like why. People turn into like me, where it's just like afraid Why to answer the phone. Anything, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't want to leave. I don't want to talk to anyone. That's it's like, so horrible. <laughs> Do you have anything to declare? Yeah, don't go to Minneapolis. <laughs> Shep beats the shit out of Carl. This is after he's been with that other prostitute. He go. He. Go, I guess they're it's back like, in sort of Brainerd. Mid prostitute session, really, because he gets yeah, beat yeah, up he, completely nude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he's like he takes this other woman out. They go to like a dinner, and then he's like fucking her in a shitty hotel again. And then that's when Shep like I guess somehow tracks him down. That's I never really I was sure like what happened either. in this scene, but unless that's where Carl lives, I don't know. It could be. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't really tell if it was like an apartment building this or like a shitty hotel. You, you or, just don't have backstory on. But I, I guess Shep is just like, how are you fucking this up so bad that they're. <laughs> Tracing me from you. Yeah. Shep beating the shit out of Carl prompts Carl to call Jerry and demand the money now. Wade has really inserted himself into this and is now yeah, insisting on dropping be, the uh, money. The ringer or whatever. The bag man. Yeah. And this leads to a shootout between Wade and Carl in a parking garage. Wade shoots Carl in the face, but Wade is shot dead. So this... Every step of this kidnapping has been a total failure and a botch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody involved is an idiot. <laughs> it's like, how could this it's get also, this uh, fucked up? I just, you know, I don't want to get shot in the face and survive. I know that. You know what I mean? I mean well, it looks like it just terrible. grazes him. Right. Yeah, but it does look painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Jerry's like in like pursuit because he knows like if Wade gets there, everything's gonna be fucked up because number one, Carl's expecting only eighty thousand dollars to be there. Right. Number two, he knows that once Carl sees that it's not Jerry and it's somebody else, that it could lead to something bad, which it does. Yeah. So he shows up. He finds that Wade is dead. He puts Wade in the trunk of his car, I think. (laughs) And then he follows Carl back out of the parking garage. Carl has killed the parking attendant. Right. Which I guess is a callback to that previous scene where the guy like was Was demanding a ticket or demanding four dollars even though he didn't park there or whatever. And now things have like completely gone off the rails. Carl removes eighty k to split with Gaer, but buries the rest of the money yeah, in I mean, the I, snow. Carl's got to be like, "Wow, okay, this is quite the score now." This is kind of fucked up in real life. I guess some woman from Japan or maybe China came to America and died trying to find that money. Like, I don't know why she thought it was real. I guess because wow. they said it was based on a true story. That is nuts. Yeah, she like froze to death, I guess, or something. I don't know. <laughs> she was out here like digging on the s- in the snow along this hi- like whatever this is a highway. I open guess road. I don't even know how you would know what road. That I know. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I think they could have filmed that anywhere. But I don't know. We haven't mentioned it yet, but they've kind of turned Fargo into this like it's like show copper pot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they've turned it into a show on FX and. I only have really watched like the first season, but they kind of it's all like I watched season two also. It's like vaguely connected to this kind of the first season almost feels like they're going for like the same story. Kinda, but yeah. But then it's different. But Yeah. And then the second one is actually like a a prequel. Right. Yeah. It's all supposed I, to kind of be like the same aesthetic universe, yeah. Like a spiritual sequel, if you will. Right. <laughs> or whatever. But um yeah, it's kind of a cool moment where he just buries it in the snow and he marks it with that stupid ice scraper. Which is, it just seems like the rate of snowstorms occurring that this is just not. Well, a wasn't great- the thing in season one that somebody found the money and that's where part of it connected to it? Wasn't that part that's of it? Possible. I don't remember at this point. Something like that. How you doing, Mr. Mora? Yeah. Officer Olson. Yeah. Right o. Well. I saw him tending bar down there at Eklund and Swedland's last Tuesday, and this little guy's drinking, and he says, so where can a guy find some action? I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, what kind of action? And he says, woman action. What do I look like? And I says, well, what do I look like? I don't arrange that kind of thing. And he says, but I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, yeah, but this ain't that kind of place. Uh-huh. He says, oh, so I get it. So you think I'm some kind of jerk for asking, only you don't use the word jerk. I understand. Then he calls me a jerk, says, last guy thought he's a jerk is dead now. So I don't say nothing. He says, what do you think about that? And I says, well, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, he says, yeah, that guy's dead, and I don't mean of old age. And then he says, geez, I'm going crazy out there at the lake. White Bear Lake? Yeah, well, at Eklund and Swedland, that's closer to Moose Lake, so I made that assumption. Oh, sure. Anyway, he's drinking at the bar, so I don't think a whole great deal of it, but then Mrs. Mora, she heard about the homicides down here and thought I should call it in, so I called it in. End of story. Well, what this guy look like, anyways? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Uh-huh. In what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. Okay. A random tip comes in to alert the police of some characters up by Moose Lake. It's basically Carl running his mouth at a local bar. <laughs> but the scene of the guy telling the cop about Carl is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Where the guy's just like, end of story. Right. <laughs> 
like that's the fun thing. Like every scene in the movie is funny because of the way that the people the talk and act. Yeah. So that's that. How does she get led to this guy? Well, that, how do the police get led to this guy? That guy he calls, calls him the tip because oh, because right, Carl's yeah. bragging about killing people. Yeah. Oh yeah, a male cop goes to talk to him. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Marge ends up finding out the truth about Mike Yanagita. She's talking on the phone, I guess, to somebody that a fellow classmate. Yeah, who knows the truth? He was never married to this woman. This woman is still very much alive that She's he also claimed kind of to be married to. Nonchalant in delivering this information because isn't Marge brings it up? Right. right. Marge is like, oh yeah, his wife died of leukemia. It was that girl we went to school with, and she's like. Oh, no she's alive he never dated her he was just really creepy and <laughs> stalked her or whatever well yeah <laughs> like, i think he no... said she said something like oh he's he was like had a breakdown or something yeah but this information this is why i think the mike yanagita scene is important because it's it's almost like this information prompts her to want to speak with jerry again it's kind of the idea that someone could just lie I in such say- a insane way i've seen that like you know doing some notes and reading things on the internet and i think even in the plot synopsis in wikipedia it says that yeah that but like i will say like countless viewings of this i I never really put that together on my own accord i guess if you were like well what is the the reason for the scene if you were like desperately trying to connect the scene to the rest of the movie and they do show her at that one point just sitting in her car kind of like thoughtfully kind of thinking and I guess that's, that, that <laughs> thoughtfully it, thinking, knowing that it does all make sense. He does act in a sketchy way, kind of similar to Jerry. But like, I think I never really put it together because I feel like Jerry acts so obviously sketchy in the first meeting that it doesn't feel like some guy lying through his teeth. You know, it just feels like if I was that cop, I would walk away being like, huh, seems like there's something up with that guy. Yeah, I do think that that's the reason that he was still in her mind at all, because right. I don't think she was particularly... She wasn't that interested in him specifically. Him. Yeah. Like, she was just like, have any cars gone missing off the slot? Right. And, <laughs> and he's like such a prick about it, too. Yeah, because it's very possible. Like, the thing that Jerry wasn't understanding is it's very possible that a car could have gone missing and that he wouldn't have known or known about it or known why or been involved. But he took that as a, an immediate, like, I have to start defending myself oh, yeah. from guilt. And it's like, you're just making yourself seem guilty. <laughs> Right. Anyway, so she goes and speaks with Jerry again, and he has, like, another meltdown. And this is where he just kind of, he's like, all right, I'm going to go count the cars right now. And instead he just flees. (laughs) And she's like, he's fleeing the interview. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously at this point, she knows that he's somehow involved in this, although the pieces haven't all come together yet. True. That's the thing. The police don't even know about the kidnapping. Oh right, yeah. So they're like, what? <laughs> a whole missing piece. Yeah, there's that whole thing of like, well, how does he connect to these guys? And no one knows about Wade. We don't. Do we even get any follow up on Wade? I think somebody. There's a scene where, I think it must be Jerry, briefly is talking on the phone to Stan Grossman. I think. Okay. Because they're like, so, or maybe it's a cop saying that. I can't remember. Somebody's on the other end of a phone conversation yeah, yeah. with Stan Grossman, and they're basically recounting the idea that they've been missing. Oh, I, you know what? I think it is the police, because I think that's when they find out about this kidnapping thing. Because I think that one of the they're okay. like, oh, this has been happening since this. They're like They're just finding out, because I think Stan eventually just calls the police. Oh, that's right, yeah. Something like that. Because, obviously, Stan knows that he's going to make the draw. Right, right. So, back at the cabin... <laughs> Gayer oh, has just killed to, Jean. Yeah. Which and is. Are you just supposed to take it that, like, she was so annoying 
Well, yeah, she was just. Right. He, I think he says like she wouldn't shut up or whatever because he was like <laughs> screaming or whatever. So what was his play here? He doesn't know anything that's going on with the drop or the money or anything, right? Right. <laughs> and so his play was just like. Well, well I definitely well, think I he's supposed annoyed. to just be like a psychopath. Yeah, that so has I like her. no feelings or anything. Yeah. Carl shows up. He's still bleeding everywhere from his face. He gives him 40K and says they need to leave and split up. And then because they can't even get through one part of this without being total idiots and fucking it <laughs> right, up, dopes. they get into an argument over who gets to keep the tan Sierra, the stupid car that's been part of this deal. Carl is the worst because it's like, dude, you are you secretly keeping all that other on. money. Yeah, Who cares about this fucking car? And they won't back down over it. He basically just is like, I'm like taking storming it. Storming out, yeah. <laughs> and so then that part where Gare just bursts out of the house with that axe and chases him down is unbelievable. You're oh, just like, whoa. It's like, okay, that's the end of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Although not quite. And I mean, that is kind of the calling card of Fargo, which is it just kind of builds to these spectacular moments that you were just kind of like, oh, wow. Like, what the <laughs> Didn't fuck? Didn't see that coming. Yeah, and it just, I, I don't know, I think just setting like a crime story in this kind of a, an environment with these kind of people is just was just something that yeah, caught everybody so off guard. perfectly. So Marge is kind of following up this tip about the Moose Lake thing. Just kind she, of driving around the lake looking at driveways. Yeah, she's looking for the car that was described in the trooper's notes, the one that got killed, the Tan Sierra with the DLR plate. And she doesn't seem to even really think that this lead is going to go anywhere. But then she ends up spotting the car when she's by herself. She's not going to wait for backup. Nope. She's, <laughs> she's just going right in with uh, <laughs> two guys that murdered a cop and two random people. Right. And she's just going to go right in, like pregnant and everything. Yeah. And I love it. As if the part where Gare goes after Carl with an axe wasn't enough. This is we come across a scene that you could never even imagine was about to happen oh yeah <laughs> i think i've seen like this on tv before and it's like so weirdly edited like <laughs> probably it's all, yeah. like the blood is like everything that's coming out is all like kind of blurred out <laughs> it's so weird but yeah he's basically we see steve pushing me one more time <laughs> was leg yeah he's trying to push him into the wood chipper it seems like that may have already happened with gene maybe not i don't I think can't they, remember i think they do say gene's body is still in the house okay just blood spraying out. Marge ends up shooting Gare on a frozen lake in the back of the leg. She somehow, pregnant and all, manages to make this arrest and get him into the car all by herself. He's which like this even, big dude. Yeah, even though he was shot in the leg, still seems crazy that she oh, somehow yeah. got him handcuffed and into the car yep. by herself. Yeah, it's good it didn't turn out like No Country for Old Men. He just like slips underneath the cuffs and strangles her on the floor <laughs> of the police station. And Jerry ends up getting busted in like a motel. I can't even remember what city they're supposed to be in at that point. Yeah. Duluth or Sioux something. Sioux Falls. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's like just a humiliating arrest. He's like, <laughs> I'll be right there. He's, he's like, like squealing like a pig in his underwear. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, it's horrible. Yep. Yeah. And then Marge just kind of lectures Gare on the way back. She's like, just for a little bit of money. <laughs> There's more to life than money or whatever. Then and you know the funny part obviously is she's not talking. And that to, was your friend back there in the wood chipper. I take it. <laughs> she's not talking to Carl or Jerry or somebody who like may have a little bit of humanity. I mean, this guy is clearly just like straight an emotionless monster. 
sociopath who doesn't really even care about anything. Yeah, and I mean that pretty much does it. It's a nice tidy ninety minutes basically, and it <laughs> all wraps up. Like, wow, that's a true story. Yeah, I think um, Marge's husband gets to be on a stamp or something. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's his whole little side story. Norm. Yeah, nor isn't Norm like the guy from like Zodiac or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's kind of a a quick movie, but it definitely a, a classic. Yeah, it really like caught the world by storm back in '96. I think like people really took to it and it became like a a definite moment at the Oscars and everything. It's and really one of those ones that I feel like like since I've been into buying movies, it's just like always kind of around. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like whether it was DVD or Blu-ray or some special release, like you just feel like it's always yeah, it's a out at whatever seller. video store. Yeah, it probably has made millions and millions and millions from home movie sales and stuff. Just one of those things. I think I've owned it oh, plenty of times. Yep. I, I own two Blu-rays currently of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the next year, they would go on to do Big Lebowski. I mean, just a kind of a crazy back-to-back years there. Two yeah, like iconic movies. We weren't necessarily feeling their latest Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's kind of been a while since they've really blown me away with something. Oh, yeah, but, but certainly, like, overall, first of all, they're, like, super prolific. They come out with a movie, like, every year, it seems like. Yeah, they've slowed down a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, there's just, like, some great ones. Obviously, we we talked with – we love Inside Lewin Davis. Going back to, like, Blood Simple. I mean, it's just, like, they just have so many good ones. Yeah. So I guess that'll do it for Fargo. We are back at it now, so hopefully we will have some consistency with the episodes being released. Thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. I mean, not a lot of Twitter activity over the last no, few weeks. Okay, but you know, maybe as the as we roll into the new year, maybe some new Twitter activity could be popping up. And make sure you're subscribed to our show on iTunes and continue to uh Tell your friends and spread the word and, you know, we'll keep doing this because we enjoy doing it. At the very least, it's an excuse to go back and revisit some favorite movies. That's right. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I I own so many movies and there's so many movies available on streaming and new movies coming out all the time. It's like, who knows when you're going to go back and revisit some of this stuff and it's fun to just have a reason to do it. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that'll do it for Fargo and um, we'll see you next time.
Well, I'm out of here. What? What are you talking about? I'm leaving. I'm going to be with the waitress. She's the woman I love. No, but I, I wasn't using you like Trevor was. He's a total asshole. I really, really, really like you. Oh. Yeah, I know. Okay, I was using you. That's why I kissed you in front of the waitress. That's why I banged you a bunch of times, just to make the waitress jealous. Amazing, you slept with me almost instantly. And by the way, a quality woman doesn't do that. She doesn't say yes right away. She says no to a man for years, like 10 years. That's what a real woman does, okay? You know what you were acting like? A stupid little rich slut. And that's all that you are. How can you do this to me? Are you still talking? Go away, dum-dum. Go run and hide. Go from me. I don't want to see you. <laughs> women, right? 